Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gore and Guilty Podcast. I'm Greg. And I'm Georgia. And today Georgia is talking us through what I understand to be quite a serious and heavy-hitting case, Georgia. Is that correct? Yeah, we sure are. I know we covered a pretty heavy one last week and we actually put that little notice up saying that if people don't feel... Feel they're comfortable with listening to this one then skip to the next week but unfortunately i'm sorry we're gonna do another hard hitting episode but it's one i've been wanting to cover for a very long time so well we are called gore and guilty so i'm sure people have come to expect at least occasionally a hard hitting episode so yeah i'm assuming the rule is the same this week maybe try checking in next week if you are not prepared to listen to quite a heavy-hitting episode. Yes, absolutely. There's lots of trigger warnings throughout. We will be talking about subjects such as domestic violence and abuse, rape, murder, underage, sexual assault. So all sorts of horribleness. So if it's not your thing, we absolutely understand. So yeah, just tune in next week. Cool. Sounds good. Well, I mean, it doesn't sound good. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Before we go into all the darkness that this case sounds like it's going to be, how are you doing, Georgia? I'm very good, thank you. I think some of people on Instagram will know that we saw each other this weekend, which was great. We went and saw a friend for one of his birthdays. So I say one of his birthdays. People tend to only have one a year, but <laughs> um, but yeah, we went and celebrated a friend's birthday and saw each other, which was great. And then next week, I'm off on holiday uh, to Italy with uh, my partner's family, so I'm very excited for that. I cannot wait for some sunny weather, but yeah, all is good. How about you, Greg? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm also off to Italy next week independently yeah. um, well as in we're not going together yeah. but we uh, are there at similar times just in different parts of Italy so I'm also very yeah. much looking forward to soaking in a bit of sun eating lots of pizza mm-hmm. lots of pasta lots of oh, ice cream yeah. getting on the limoncellos <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and great wine oh Cannot I'm actually wait. so buzzing because uh, it's been a while I'm not sure if you Guys, remember I was meant to go to Amsterdam uh, about a month and a bit ago and I never made it because I was ill. So I'm praying this time (laughs) that my health holds out and just gets me there. I don't want being ill over there. I just want to be lying on a beach. That's (laughs) the main thing. So that'll be cool. But annoyingly, I can, I can, you know, when you can feel a spot brewing, I can feel a real big spot brewing. I'm like, I bet that's going to come through just as I'm over there. It's fine. The sun. The sun will do wonders, I'm sure. (laughs) The sun and the sea. The magic medicine. Oh, yeah. But we should, again, another episode in a row, have to talk about another shocking crime in the States. Isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. It's with a heavy heart that we have to say it, like Greg said, again, considering we, we said a notice on our last episode But there has been another school shooting, this time at an elementary school in Texas. Uh, A gunman aged 18 has killed 19 children between the ages of 7 and 10, as well as two teachers. So extremely, extremely sad. I think he killed his grandmother as well before he 
went to the school. So there's a lot of deaths, a lot of sadness, and it's just just a crying shame that it's it seems like it's happening every week. So our hearts go out, and you know our thoughts are with the the victims, the victims' family, and and anyone that's affected by this. But yeah, absolutely awful, awful that this hate seems awful that this seems to happen so frequently in the states. Mm-hmm. I really hope that uh, the people there that can fix this really take it seriously this time. A hundred percent. Too many people are dying. It's it's not good. Not good at all. But hey, from one atrocity to another, right? Let's uh, <laughs> should we get into the case today? We should. I we've got one other business notif- uh, notification, I suppose, um, that we are going to be reducing our episodes down to twice a month. I know that Greg mentioned it on our Instagram. Uh, that we're going to be doing it once every two weeks, which kind of gives us we more time to research the case, providing a better quality case for you guys to listen to. And we did put up a poll, and it did come back that more people wanted quality over quantity, and I, I think we agree. So this is the first case that we're doing in that style. I've had more time to research the ins and outs of it, and I feel so much happier about sharing this case with you guys. So it's definitely progression and i you know we'll see how it goes yeah let's play it by ear and see what happens but i definitely would prefer to have a bit more time to research my cases that's for sure same yeah okay let's do it so today we're going to be talking about carla mamolka and paul bernardo which I'm guessing if people have heard of those names, they know what you're in for. It is going to be a very heavy case. I've mentioned before, trigger warnings, there are some very heavy-hitting topics. As we get into the case, I won't be saying trigger warnings after every single, or just before every single um, horrible thing I'm going to be talking about, because there's just so many. So I'm going to, it's a big warning at the beginning, and we'll get into it. Okay, I'll brace myself. Oh yeah, so this case has been requested by a lot of people, um, so we finally got round to doing it. It has been one of those cases that's been on the top of my list. I remember hearing about it for the first time a few years ago on another podcast, and it blew my mind. It, the twist at the end, oh, it'll make you angry. So, Oh, there's a twist. I think I have heard of this case, but I've not, I'm certainly not familiar with a twist, so... Mm. This could be interesting, like an M. Night Shyamalan film or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, it's a partnership killing, it's a couple, so they have been branded as the Barbie and Ken. They're a very good looking couple, but that's as nice as I'll go, (laughs) because they're horrible people. (laughs) Um, Carla Leanne Homolka was born on May the 4th, 1970, so Star Wars Day. The only thing cool about her, other than that, she's not great. She was born in Mississauga, Ontario, in Canada. So we're in Canada for this case. In Canada, cool. She had two siblings, Logan and Tammy. During her childhood, she frequently was hospitalised due to her asthma. So that kind of played a part in her upbringing, that she was kind of in hospital for a very long time, then she'd come out, and 
throughout her childhood, she would experience her father, who was an alcoholic. He would regularly get in fights with her mum. So she's already having this kind of like disrupted childhood with kind of violence in the home and then going away to hospital for a while and then coming back. From a young age, she expressed that she really loved animals and this was very much known. However, it swiftly changed when she grew into her teenage years. I remember reading, I read this one um, story about it, actually, which kind of like puts it all in perspective. She went round to one of her friend's house who had a hamster and her and her friends decide to make a parachute for this hamster and throw it out the window. Oh my god. This hamster does not survive. How old were they? Teenagers. Before, young teenagers though, that kind of like 10 to 30, like kind of like youngish teenagers, but still. I wonder if it was she, I wonder if she knew what she was doing and that the hamster was going to suffer or if it was just an inadvertent... Like in curiosity. Yeah, like a stupidity, thinking that the parachute mm-hmm. would work and the hamster would survive. Maybe. I think that she was very much a very dominant player within this friendship group. It was very much mm. her idea. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, the, the hamster didn't survive. Um, it was buried in the garden and then... Carla decided to dig it up a week or so later just to see what had happened to the hamster after it died. Oh my god, okay, well that isn't child's <laughs> naivety. That's fucking freaky. That's wild. I just saw Greg's face then when I when I said that last line. He was like, oh, I take it back. Every word. <laughs> yeah, I take it back. That sounds like very weird behaviour for a child to be doing. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I was doing anything like this when I was a kid, but... Yeah. No. She no. loved crime novels. She loved all about the cases and things that was all about how to get away with the crime. That was her, like, focus. Right from an early age. And she liked the Hardy Boys, all of those kind of well-known crime novels. Which, I mean, it doesn't always make a serial killer because... If you looked at my book collection, <laughs> you <laughs> it wouldn't be great, but well, you never know. <laughs> As she was maturing, she was becoming more and more violent. She didn't move with the crowd at school. She was always slightly an outsider. She didn't care what people thought. She wasn't afraid to be different. At school, she met her first boyfriend, Doug who she shared that they would take many drugs together and would engage in sexual intercourse. Um, and it was kind of like that kind of relationship. She was very interested in death and how this would feel. Very much fixated on that kind of stuff. So this actually led to Carla cutting herself because she was just kind of mm. really fascinated with, with death. I wonder if this all came from the bloody hamster. I'm kidding. Maybe. I don't think it all did come from that, but it's like all... It seems to have morphed. It has. It's just like... Hmm. She was already having these thoughts at a very, very young age, and it, it still stuck with her. Very bizarre. During school, as I mentioned before, she used to like animals, until the hamster. Um, so she managed to get a part-time job at a veterinary clinic. Once she graduated from high school, she actually got a permanent position, a full-time job at 
Thorold Veterinary Clinic as a veterinary technician. She was a very intelligent person, so she scored on an IQ, IQ score between 131 to 134, and 140 is classified as genius. So Yeah, that's very smart. She's a smart, smart lady. A couple years later, she met Paul Bernardo when she was 17 years old. They met at a convention in Toronto. She said that they hit it off straight away. They had sex on the first day they met. Carla discovered that Paul shared very similar sexual desires as her. Paul was six years older than Carla. He was 23 at the time. Oh, it was 23, 17. It always mm. just feels a bit, yeah. It's that weird rogue. in between these stage, isn't it? Yeah. After this, they got together and they both stuck together. They were loners. They kind of kept themselves to themselves. And this is where things start to take a turn. So from this point onwards, their trigger warnings galore. It's from this point onwards, it's not pretty. So, whenever Paul was upset or if they got into a fight, Carla would provide Paul with a gift. This would mean that Carla would find a girl for for Paul to use for sexual purposes. And it's thought that this is because Carla, when she was younger, would see when her parents fought, her mother would provide her father with sexual gifts to smooth things over, such as threesomes. Oh my god. Yeah, so uh, it's not great. So she'd upset him and then he'd be like, go and get me a another woman to sleep with, basically. Yeah, basically, but it would be off her own back. Like, Carla would go out and seek the lady, well, usually girl, young girl, and then bring them back so that Paul would rape them and it wouldn't be consensual. Oh my god, it was okay, I was going to say. I was just like thinking, how does she even convince them to come back? But it sounds like it was in a consensual situation. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's not great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This began... So this actually led to many rapes that would occur between the couple uh, through the aid of Carla. I mean, Paul would go out and source his own girls as well. But it's all around a very icky situation. This began to not satisfy the couple. They were searching for a bigger thrill. And this is where it led to murder. So what what would happen? Would they both be involved in the actual sexual assaults? Or was it just Carla would bring a girl back and... Leave Paul to it. Yeah. Um, A mixture of both. It would be... Carla would, um, she does commit many sexual assaults um, alongside Paul. Sometimes they'd take it in turns. Sometimes it'd be one on their own. Oh, Paul on his own and then Carla assisting. But I don't know, I haven't read anywhere of Carla doing it on her own. Um, Which is interesting because when we get to the trial, um, there's a kind of an interesting point of whether Carla could be classified as a victim through domestic violence and abuse and whether she's been kind of an accomplice because of predatory behaviour. But we'll find out that she was very much active throughout all of this. Got you. 
So we go to our first murder. It occurred on the 23rd of December 1990. Paul began to become attracted to Carla's younger sister, Tammy. I believe she's 16 at the time. Oh my god. Yeah. It's not their first murder victim, is it? Yes. Oh my god. So. Jeez. <laughs> I told you it's heavy. Yeah, that's shocking. So together, they, Carla and Paul hatch a plan to try and get Tammy alone to, for Paul's needs. In July 1990, they invited Tammy round for some food. They served us spaghetti, which was spiked with Valium, stolen from Carla's workplace, the vets. Once Tammy was unconscious, Trigger, Paul raped her. However, this only lasted a minute because she began to wake up. And then they decided, okay, we'll halt this attack. After a family Christmas party on the 23rd of December 1990, Carla stole stronger animal tranquilizers from her work and spiked Tammy again. Whilst Tammy was unconscious, they both raped her. Oh my god! (laughs) I know. It's really hard to read. It's her sister. Yeah, her younger sister. She's the older sister. Like, it's like there's so many things wrong with this. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, so 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 fucked up. So whilst Tammy was unconscious, unfortunately, she died from choking on her own vomit. Before they called the police, though, or 911, they decided to hide all the evidence, do all the washing, all the laundry, change Tammy's clothes, put her in the basement, and then they called 911. To which Paul explained that he tried to revive her and her death was ruled an accident. Could they not... You'd think they could tell that... You'd think they could tell that She'd been dead for a lot longer. I don't know how these things work, actually. Yeah, sounds like a lot of chores they did before calling the police. I think, I thought that as well, that they're, if you're, if it's just happening, you call 911, it's in a very short time frame, whereas, you know, body goes cold, and I don't know when rig, rig mortis kicks in, but, like, what time, but, Surely there'll be telling signs that there's maybe a little bit of foul play. But not only that, Tammy actually had a chemical burn on her face, which would have only kind of been, you know, through, like, chem- it was chemical burn. And they didn't think that was suspicious at all. And, you know, it's, and it's quite a significant burn on her face. Maybe they were very good actors. I mean, yeah, she's very intelligent and she is quite manipulative as well. Mm. It's Dangerous combination. Super dangerous. So this one was ruled an accident. In January 1991, Paul found a young female hitchhiker. And he picks her up and takes her back to their home, where he proceeds to rape her in Carla's bedroom. And then he just drops her back off onto the street afterwards. So, you know, now we're hearing that he is committing rapes by himself picking them up, picking the person up, and then 
dropping them back off on the street afterwards. So he's just, they're both just the most monstrous, awful people. I imagine Carla wasn't too happy about that. Or maybe she was. Maybe this is fine in her crazy head. I'm not sure. That would be interesting. I think, yeah, I'll maybe... I'm not sure. On the 7th of June, 1991, Carla invited a 15-year-old girl back to their home for a girls' night after befriending her for a couple years at the pet store. She's known as Jane Doe. Um, Carla took her out shopping, gave her some food, and gave her copious amounts of alcohol, which was laced with halcyon. Once she was unconscious... She called Paul up and said, your wedding gift is ready. To which he then arrived and he filmed Carla raping Jane Doe and then proceeded to sexually assault her afterwards. My God, it's shocking that... This is just unbelievable. They seem to really have a type as well. It's you know, young teenagers, realistically. Yeah. And they're both comfortable... So I don't know whether she would be jealous over it because, you know, she's she's brought yeah, probably a not. person home. It's, or it's, it's, this case is bad. So Jane Doe does survive. Uh, she then gets dropped off afterwards. And then in the morning of the 15th of June, so only about a week or so later, Paul was driving through Burlington to steal license plates when he saw 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey standing outside her home. She had missed her curfew after visiting some friends and was locked out of her home. Paul got out of his car and walked up to Leslie and told her that he wanted to break into a neighbour's house. What? I know. Weird thing to say, yeah. It's just like, what the fuck? Okay. Well, Leslie was not phased by this and just asked him for a cigarette. He then said he did, but they're in his car. She follows him to his car and once she got there, Paul blindfolded her and forced her into the vehicle. He then called Carla and said, quote, we have another victim. I feel like whoever locked Leslie out of the house that day feels quite guilty about it. I know, I was thinking that. I felt so sorry for her parents because... She'd missed curfew, she'd been told to come by, back by a certain time, and then I guess you hear it in so many cases where, you know, to teach them a lesson, we've locked her out, but you never think something bad's going to happen. And then, yeah, oh, it's your worst nightmare. Yeah, it did happen on this occasion. Very sad. Poor parents. So It's so sad. So, trigger warning. Both Carla and Paul filmed them both torturing and sexually assaulting Leslie whilst they listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie. During the recording, Paul says, quote, You're doing a good job, Leslie. A damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. Oh my god. It's like, so sinister. It reminds me of the, what's it called? The uh, toolbox killer? I don't know why, just something mm. about that. It's just... Yes, we yet to do that case. That's a heavy. heavy That's a heavy one. one. I need a lighter one next 
next time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> the assault worsened, and they sodomized her. During the assault, Leslie was blindfolded throughout, and at one point she told them how it was slipping down. She tried to tell them to tighten it, basically, so that she doesn't see their identity, and she thought that that might be something that can save her. Right. Well, hadn't she already seen him? Well, that's what I thought, but... Or was it just like Leslie's belief that if she's told them, then she might gain some favour and not die? Maybe, actually, yeah, maybe. That if she... Because you would think that, though, if you were blindfolded, that that might be your only way out, is that you can say, I don't know what you look like, therefore I can't find you. Mm. But yeah, it's a really interesting point. So she she did try that. And... But however, unfortunately, the next day, they put her body in the basement. Carla and Paul don't agree on who murdered her. Carla says that Paul strangles her, whereas Paul says that Carla gave her a lethal dose of drugs. So neither of them... And this is kind of like a running trait, like a theme, running theme, where both of them kind of blame each other for the, for the murder. Mm. Which is, so one of them's lying. They try to decide on the best way to dispose of Leslie. And they go for the dismemberment route, where they encase each part in concrete. So they take these blocks to Lake Gibson, 18 kilometres away, and they kind of put them in the, in the lake. However, some of them kind of end up around the shoreline, where Michael... Doucette and Michael Jr., father and son, find these blocks on whilst they're fishing on the 29th of June 1991, and Leslie's orthodontic appliances are the only way she was identified. Oh my god. Yeah. It's such a sinister way to dispose of a body as well. They really... I don't want to say thought it... I don't want to say thought it through, because then it sounds like I'm giving them credit, but they, I don't even know, they're just very sinister people. I do see, though, what you mean, like, they are, they are very smart people, especially, I mean, Carla is, for sure. Hmm. They have really thought out what would be the most difficult way for them to be caught, like, they, they really, they have thought this through, which, oh, it's horrible. So on the day that the blocks were discovered, it actually happened to be the day that Paul and Carla get married. Carla is 21 at this time, and Paul is 27. So we've been together about four years. Yeah. It's weird to me that families don't find that weird, like the 17 to 23-year-olds difference Mm. and stuff. Bizarre. I guess times have changed, maybe. Maybe, but also you have to remember that her dad was drinking a lot and her mum. I don't know whether they were keeping an eye on her. I don't know quite whether the family dynamic was a, a, a great one. I may be wrong. Probably but... takes a broken home to make someone like this. Hmm. Jane Doe, um, the girl from before, was invited back to the house again in August 1991 where she thought she was just going to stay the night. This time, she was drugged again. 
Oh, so she didn't realise before. She didn't realise that she'd been assaulted. I guess, yeah. Oh my god. Because she was unconscious. I know, it just makes it so much worse. She was like 15. So she goes back, back to their house. Whilst the assault is happening, she stops breathing. And then Carla decides to call 911 to inform them. But after a couple minutes, she then calls them back and says, everything is all right. And luckily, Jane Doe does survive this attack. Um, so I believe that that's why it's Jane Doe. So to, to keep her identity sealed, which is... I'm just so pleased that she survived, but... Oh, just all, yeah. awful. Thank God. On the 16th of April, 1992, Carla and Paul drive around St. Catherine's after school hours to find another victim. They pass a Catholic school and they spot 15-year-old Kristen French, who is walking home. They park the car and they walk up to Kristen with a map in the hand and kind of ask her for directions. When Kristen looks at the map, Paul pulls a knife on her and then forces her into the front seat. She's put in the front seat and Carla sits behind her and she's just basically pulling her hair to stop her from leaving. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. Kirsten walks home every day and it takes 50, about 15 minutes. And so when her parents realised she didn't come back, they instantly went to the police or really quickly thought foul play was in order, like something had occurred that's very sinister. Contacted the police within 24 hours who arranged a search straight away. They found several witnesses who saw the abduction and they actually found one of um, Kristen's shoe, Kristen's shoe near the point of her abduction. So at that point as well, the police went, absolutely something bad's happened here. So they really got onto it quickly. Makes you wonder why one of the people that saw the abduction didn't do more, like to call the police or something at the time. Hmm. So they said there was multiple witnesses from different angles that saw the abduction so that the police could get a real good picture of exactly how the the abduction took place. Diffusion of responsibility, I suppose, like the Kitty Geneva case. It is. They probably thought, yeah, yeah. someone else will do it. Someone yeah. else saw it, so they'll do it. So this occurred over Easter weekend, and Carla and Paul filmed themselves again, torturing, raping, and sodomizing Kristen. Oh my god, it's just so sadistic, isn't it? Yeah. They forced her to drink a lot of alcohol. They did intend to murder her from the start. She wasn't blindfolded, she's able to identify them. The next day, Paula and Carla murder Kristen before they attended a family Easter dinner. Which, again, is just like another layer of that like sinister... Like, how you can do something like this and then go to a family dinner party. Like, it's just, I can't even fathom. Yeah, it's one of those weird ones that just, I think killers have normalised their own crimes and then just can somehow go and act normal at, like, a family dinner. It's mind-blowing, actually, in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh. They both testify that the other one strangled... Kristen, she was found on the 30th of April 1992 after being washed 
and her hair had been cut off. Wait, so they, so they went and admitted it. So when they testify later in the trials, sorry, they. Uh, I get you. I get you. My again, they both say the other one did it. It's like one of the another Got one you. where they just kind of blame the other, which again, it's that's really interesting as well. I don't know whether they trust each other that much. I guess they thought they might get off if they can't prove who did what or something. Mm, Don't know. Maybe. In December 1992, the Centre of Forensic Science begins to test the DNA samples of Poole, which were provided in 1990, so two years prior. And they were taken from him on suspicion of many rapes that occurred before he met Carla in May 1987. Uh, A young woman was raped in Scarborough and it was the first of a chain of rapes that were committed in the area by a person who the media called the Scarborough Rapist. And actually later in the trials, Paul admits to sexually assaulting at least 14 women around that time. This guy has got away with so many crimes for so long. It's crazy. So he was already like very much evil before meeting Carla and I think Carla obviously had her thoughts of death and that kind of weird fascination and I just think that when they kind of came together they were this like weird like power couple but for the sinister stuff. Yeah well it's definitely sounds like their weird behavior predates each other and Mm -hmm. well you can't even say weird behavior that almost infantilizes it it's more uh criminal behavior their criminal behavior predates each other basically yeah exactly in january 1993 paul beats up carla with a torch or a flashlight and this causes two black eyes so carla decides to leave paul and file a report against him that's brave Yes, but maybe not brave in the conventional domestic abuse survivor sense, but the fact to actually report this guy that she's committed so many atrocities with. Mm-hmm. Unexpected. Uh, yeah. yeah, like either she thinks she's going to get away with it, if it, it may not come up, or that she can just put all the blame on him and then get away with it. On the 17th of February, 1993, Paul is arrested. During this time, a protocol was not met which violated Paul's rights. They did not allow him to call a lawyer, which meant that the first eight hours of his interrogation was inadmissible as evidence. They gain a search warrant for Carla and Paul's home during a 71-day search, and they did not find the recordings or videotapes of the tortures. What? How? They were in the house as well. Like they weren't Were they just not looking for videotapes, I suppose? Well, I mean, seventy one day search seems like a long time to such a building or like or find evidence regarding this case. And I'll tell you later on where they were found, but I dunno. Yeah. When they see see whether you think the police should have found them. Yeah. On the sixth of may nineteen ninety three, Paul's lawyer oh It's my next line. On the 6th of May, 1993, Paul's lawyer, Ken Murray, enters the home. 
to find the tapes in a ceiling light fixture in the upstairs bathroom. So do you think the police should have found that if it was in the light fixture? Well, the lawyer found it. So... The lawyer, Paul's lawyer, so Paul would have told him, these videotapes are very incriminating, they're found here. So the lawyer goes in after the search is complete, he then sneaks in and grabs them and then takes them back. He does not share them with the police for 16 months. Is that allowed? Isn't the lawyer allowed to truly... I know like lawyers are defending their clients, but that seems extraordinarily unethical. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because later on we find out that he does get a slight comeuppance from doing mm. that. It's not critical. During May, a plea agreement between the Crown prosecutors and Carla's lawyers was finalised. Now, this is the real big twist, I think. Okay, so the tapes have been found, but by Paul's lawyer, they have not been handed into the police. The police are unaware that these tapes exist. Okay. Okay. So then a plea agreement is made between the Crown prosecutor and Carla's lawyers. It was basically hard to establish the role between Carla and Paul. Carla was painted as another one of Paul's victims and was only involved in the crimes through domestic violence and being forced. Basically, they would only be able to confirm Paul's involvement in the crimes through Carla, so they gave her a plea bargain. If she pled guilty, she would get a lesser sentence, believing that she was an accomplice through domestic violence, meaning that her responsibility for the crime would be diminished and she would become a credible witness as, which will be preserved. So they agree with this, and, and that's mm. that. And they can't go back on their word at this point either. And remember, Carlo is very manipulative and smart. It must be noted that throughout the arrest and the trial, neither Carla or Paul show any remorse for what they've done. There's a psychopathy checklist that was performed on both Paula and Carla, Carla scored 5 out of 40, whereas Paul scored 35 out of 40. Therefore, we have a psychopath on our hands. Paul, but not Carla. But not Carla. Yeah, so Carla's very intelligent and Paul is a psychopath. Understood. Carla and Paul were trialled separately. Carla was on the f was first, July 1993. She pled guilty for two accounts of manslaughter and she receives... 12 years. Is that That's it? it? And they can't redo that? There's no... Nope. So nope. she's killed three women, had an active involvement in killing three young girls, and she got 12 years. Yeah. And she's obviously raped horrendous smart people. She's tortured them. She's filmed them. She's coaxed them back. She's drugged them. She's her sister. So is she out? Is she out of jail right now? Yes. She's living her life. Oh my god, that's shocking. That's a, a complete loophole in the system. Right. She found it. It makes me, it made me so angry when I found that out. So she is out, living her life. She's in her fifties. That's just not on. Two thousand and five, she was out. So, oh god, I wonder if she's done any other crimes in the last seventeen years. <sighs> I know. It just, oh, it, it, like. You could walk past someone like this and not even know. 
Christ, that's shocking. That's unbelievable, really. So there was a publicity ban on, like, ordered by the judge, so that for the first trial with Carla, so that Pauls wasn't influenced by this to make sure he had a fair trial. In September 1994, Paul's first lawyer, Ken Murray, quit and handed over the tapes to the next lawyer, who handed them into the police a month afterwards. They did not realise the extent to which Carla was involved in the crimes. Unbelievable that that first lawyer has fucking quit. He didn't even see the thing through. And it's because of him that now this murdering rapist is walking the streets. I know. It's crazy. On the 18th of May, 1994, Paul's trial begins, during which Carla testifies against Paul. He is found guilty of all nine charges against him with two accounts of first-degree murder for killing of Kristen and Leslie. He was sentenced to 25 years without a chance of parole. And in November 1995... Paul was declared a dangerous offender, which means that he's most likely never going to be let out of prison. Well, I guess that's good, but it probably should have been the same for Carla, realistically. Exactly. Exactly. And that, yeah, 100%. She should not be walking around. In July 1996, there was a six-month-long inquiry about the investigation, which concluded that there were plenty of mistakes made throughout by the police. Believe it or not. Huh as well as concluding that if the DNA samples that were extracted from Paul two years before any of the murders occurred was processed quicker, that that might have been able to prevent further crimes. In January 1997, Ken Murray was charged, you know, the first lawyer, was charged with obstructing of justice and possession of child pornography for ha- failing to hand them in for the police, although it was acquitted in June 2000, so three years later. But yeah, basically, don't keep tapes like that away from the police. Yeah, that seems extremely unethical. I assume what should have happened is if his client told him about tapes like that existing, he should have gone and got them and handed them straight to the police. Yeah. And said, this is evidence for this case. Because I appreciate that lawyers have a job to do, but surely there's a limit. It's like, yeah, that's just really weird. They would have watched that and it, like, it obviously incriminating. It's terrible. It's torture. It's just, it just proves that they did it. Like, I, I don't even know how people can be a defense lawyer against something like that when you know that they, did, you, you've seen them do it because you've seen videos. And then go in court and be like, oh no, let's get them out. Like, I just, morally seems, I know it's a job and I know people have to do it, but oh, that would be so hard. Mm. Yeah, really shocking. Carla appealed many times, but was unsuccessful and was made to complete her 12-year term. It was noted that she would not be charged with the murder of her sister after her release either. She has been released from prison in 2005 under restrictions such as informing the police of her address, her work address, and who she lives with. And if any of these change, she has to tell the police. Notifying the police if she changes her name, 
If she's away from her home more than 48 hours, she must inform the police 72 hours beforehand. She cannot contact any criminals, Paul, or the families of the victims. She is forbidden of being in the presence of anyone under the age of 16 and from consuming any drugs other than prescription. She has to continue... She has to continue with therapy and provide DNA samples. But other than that, she is free. Isn't everyone banned from doing drugs over the prescription? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's in, yeah, it's definitely not enough of a punishment, is it? No, no. And the last line is, after she got released, she marries the lawyer's brother. And she lives in Canada. What? So... <laughs> lawyer, she's now married to the brother of the lawyer. The lawyer that's aware of these tapes, sees the tapes, knows about the tapes, yeah. knows yeah. that she's yeah. basically been actively involved in raping and killing young women, young teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> I know. Isn't that a wild, wild case? That is a wild well, case. Well, if you've managed to get to this point, well done, because this is a heavy mm. one. It's quite an unbelievable one. It's crazy to think that happened, yeah. That's unbelievable, really. Some white privilege going on there, maybe, for Carla Homoka. Mm, she, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, she played the system. And she played it well, I guess. I suppose. In a criminal sort of sense. I suppose she did. Twelve years. People get more than that for less crime. A lot like, less. Yeah. Wow. But that's the case of Barbie and Ken. Well, thank you for talking through that case. I imagine it's quite a controversial one. We'll rile up a few people, a few listeners. Oh, yeah. Do you want to share the social medias in case anyone has a take they want to share with us? Absolutely. Sure. So you can you can visit our website at www.goinguiltypodcast.com. Or you can send in your true crime or paranormal stories and case suggestions to our email as well at goinguiltypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram where we'll be sharing photos from the case. We'll be interacting with you guys. We will post some questions about this case and see what you guys think. We'd love to hear from you at goreandguiltypodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at goreandguilty. And if you liked this episode and you enjoyed listening then please let us know by leaving a review or some lovely stars you can do that on our website it's super easy to do we'd greatly appreciate it and thank you for listening and remember we won't judge if gore is your guilty pleasure Woo. thank you for listening thanks all bye